What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us on all of our ESPN esports platforms, whether you're watching us on Twitch, on the ESPN app, on Twitter, or on YouTube. We thank you. This is the ESPN esports Valorant show, our weekly foray into Valorant. The, gr- the big release has happened. We talked about it last week. We've had our first major tournament. We already have updates from the launch. We got a lot to talk about. First, though, I always like to hear some of the personal stories, uh, some fun takeaways from playing the game in the past week. I know, Tyler, you and I played some games. We enjoyed the Golden Gun a lot in mm. Spike Rush mode. How are we liking Spike Rush mode, by the way, around the horn? Emily, how do you like Spike Rush mode? I actually love it because it forces me to get better at the things I'm really bad at. Like, I've talked about this before, but I second-guess myself a lot, and that's actually a huge problem in a game where a lot of it is taking fights and having the confidence to know that you can win a gunfight. Um, and since, you know, like, this is kind of the first game that I've regularly played without a, like, first FPS game I've regularly played without a respawn mode, like COD, um, I think that Spike Rush really forces me to take fights. And actually work on, like, the gunplay, which is really important if you're going to be good at Valorant. And it also forces you to use a variety of different guns so you can get comfortable with things and have, I think, generally stronger ego rounds and a stronger understanding of how to play in an ego round through Spike Rush as well. Uh, so I actually really like what it's teaching me. But it also, again, like, forces me specifically to look at my own hesitation and, and like, not have it. Because you can't have that Spike Rush. It's too quick. No amount of spike rush play will make me like the marshal, however. Nah. <laughs> Probably because I'm Yeah, that's fair. I also still garbage. do not like the shorty. I know people are very hot and gold on the shorty. I'm not a shorty fan. I'm sorry, guys. I just... Can I ask why... It doesn't why, feel good. I agree. Why... I have to take, like, ten shots sometimes in order to get an elimination with the shorty. It's a shotgun! Why? Why is it, t- yeah. Tyler? Why is it taking yeah. me so long to kill someone with a shorty in this game? Because your reactions are too slow. Okay, fine. Can you leave? Can you, boom, can you get out of here? Boom! Can you, can you boom. Cut Tyler from the yeah. showcase? Can you make a three box if you don't mind? Change the overlay. <laughs> if you can hold your angle, it's really good. It's close up. Bad, if, you have, if you have good reaction skills, but no, speakers is fine. Like, I'm, it's nothing to write home about. It's nothing that's going to set the world on fire. But I think as, like, a third, fourth, fifth game mode outside of the regular, uh, you know, core game, it's fine. Like, obviously, I talked to Higo yesterday, and he wants a deathmatch. I'm mm-hmm. sure every single player imaginable wants a deathmatch, especially when you're a top player right now, and you're waiting sometimes up to 20 minutes for a game because your elo is so high, like... The, you're not able to play any games, so like a deathmatch mode where you can play around and just fool around while waiting for your game to pop is, I think, really needed. But yeah, Spike Rush is fine. Like it's a good third, fourth game mode. I think it's good for you know casual players and new players alike, where you can just test out all the guns. Don't really have to overthink the economy aspect. You have some of the arcadey Mario Kart style orbs that make it more <laughs> casual. There's no rated system, so people are less salty when you die. It's 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 fun. I think it's nothing to write home about, like I said. But I really like the Golden Gun. Golden Gun's cool. I like I like the instant aim on everything. It's really overpowered, but it's fun to rush for the Golden Gun, and when you get it, you feel like a god. So so far, meh. 
Spike Rush has done, I think, what it wants to do, but I think everyone's still waiting for the deathmatch to really propel this game to the next level in terms of game modes. Yeah, a lot of that actually uh, you you touched up on, Tyler, with your interview with Hiko, which is now up in full on our YouTube channel. And uh, that's one thing he mentioned, actually, in that interview, was I wish that I had the opportunity to play something while I was waiting in queue. Because he's just waiting there for several minutes at times. If you watch his stream, sometimes he's waiting for like eight, nine minutes for a game because because of his ELO and, and who he's queuing with. So anyway, that full interview is up uh, at YouTube.com slash ESPN Esports. And we have more to talk about regarding Hiko and some comments that he made during the interview uh, a little bit later on. Let's start with Jacob's favorite agent, however, and that is Sage. So, Jacob, here's the thing. Uh, and we love you as a sage main, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking on you as a sage main. I find it very interesting that every, it, it feels like at least every single update that we have gotten where a agent has been nerfed, sage is always the one selected. It always feels like sage mm-hmm. keeps getting nerfed and nerfed and nerfed and nerfed. And I wonder how many more nerfs are we going to see from sage before we're like, okay, sage is fine now. How are you feeling about all of this? I feel like every time I play a high-utility character in an FPS game, it just gets nerfed into the ground. Like, I'm used to, like, Pathfinder just gets, like, stomped on in Apex. Now Sage just keeps getting stomped on in Valorant, like, every single time. And, like, I've said this before, right, comparing Sage to, like, Morgana and to Thresh in League, it's like... They're so easy to be overpowered just because the kit inherently is very strong at what, what she does, and she's the only, to Emily's point before, she's the only character that can do what she does in the game as a healer. So, like, no matter how much you nerf her, I still think she's going to be relevant, right? Like, one of the highest top-played agents, no matter what you do. But that's just the nature of the beast, and it's, like, very difficult to, to balance high-utility characters. Um, and, I like, I don't know if Riot thought about that before they made her what she was. So, like, I, I don't, you know, because we've seen this a lot uh, with characters similar to her. And it's, it, I don't know if when they were concepting all the different agents, like, if they thought, like, oh, if we make this one, how difficult is it going to be to balance her long term? Because it seems like they still haven't figured it out. And I don't think any amount of nerfs, like, unless you literally change her and, like, do a character update, which I doubt you will, um, unless you completely alter what she does, she's going to have to keep getting nerfed, or, like, she's still going to be relevant. There's no amount of nerfing that that happens. Like, if you can have one heal in the round, you you make an impact. So, yeah. That's kind of the frustrating thing for me is that I was hoping that they would get to a point where they would just be okay with having Sage on every team, right? Because I actually disagree that she's overpowered. I don't think she's overpowered, but I do think she's necessary in competitive matches because of her utility, just like Jacob said. And I don't think that's an issue. Like, I don't think we should be looking at it as an agent diversity issue, especially when there's no other healer in the roster. Um, and that's my my frustration with the continued Sage nurse. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like, to your point, like, they need to come to a piece that they, like, they have made a character that no matter what you do to her, she is super relevant. And And there's just not... It's not like, and I don't want it to be like this, just to be clear. I'm just saying it is not like League of Legends where there are several characters with hooks or several characters with spell shields, right? Or like several characters with heals that, like, conceivably, if you don't play Soraka, you can play Sona. Conceivably, if you don't play Thresh, you can play, you can play Blitzcrank. 
right? Like there's other things that do relatively, not the same thing to a T, but relatively the same thing. Uh, there is nothing like that for Sage. And I don't know, even if they add a, another healer, I don't know if that fixes the problem either. Just like because of the res and the heal, it's just the entire kit is just really strong. So I, I don't know, like you can, I don't think you can nerf her out of meta. Saying that she is guaranteed to be 100% picked. I mean, I, when it, the, the patch notes came out, I, a few pro players like Vegas and other high level pros said that she's not 100% pick anymore, that you can't even use her wall to wall off to res someone in a safe place anymore. Where I think we'll see, I want to see more games. I want to see some more high level tournaments. We have first light coming up on Sunday and Monday, I believe, the Immortals 10k thousand dollar tournament with some really good teams in it. So I want to see that tournament to see if Sage is still 100% picked. She's been defanged in almost every way possible where her utility, her, her sole purpose now essentially is to heal and res sometimes. And her wall is still good defensive. You just can't be more, you can't offensively, you can't be super aggressive with her wall, right? Like on Haven, or not Haven, Bind, for example, when you're pushing into U-Haul, you used to be able to, like, if you could just gain a few steps into lamps, you could just wall off break heaven, they can't shoot at you, you're perfectly fine. Now you have to step more into the sites to actually wall off. So she's been defamed a lot. I want to see how the pros play with it. I do think we might see less of her if some teams can figure out better compositions. But as you guys said, that her kit of healing and resing is still super strong. They haven't touched that. That's really the only thing they haven't touched. They've touched her slower, they've touched the wall, they've touched how far she could put the wall now. Really, the only thing they haven't changed at all is her healing. The healing is still the same, the res is still the same. So we'll see how this goes, and I do think if it's still 100% pick, I think they will still tinker with it, possibly, when it comes to the heals. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I want to see actual pros play at first, because I do think at a casual level, at a low level, at the silver, bronze, iron, I still think she's a 100% pick, just because of her resin heal and how she's not as punishable against, you know, casual iron, silver, gold, low elo players, where I do think in the higher tier player list, they can't abuse the fact that she's so defanged and she's only reliant on her heal and her res. So we... We have heard rumblings that there are other agents in development, at least one. What I hope happens is the next agent released in the game is another healer. I, I do, I, I find it funny. I do find it funny that upon release of the game, we only had one healer and the new agent, Reyna, is the anti-healer. Well, she's healed right. herself. Yeah, it's the opposite almost, though. It's 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 like the very selfish, as opposed to Sage being like the medic. You, I, you haven't played the with opposite. Me. You haven't played with me in a while. I like to heal myself a lot, so that's uh, I, I am the selfish. Well, you do selfish lurk as Sage. That's right. You you do lurk as Sage. <laughs> I'm the at least you have sage. the forty-five second cooldown, where at least you can get the heal near the end of the round. Whereas Reyna, you don't have that option. But anyhow, those are our thoughts about Sage uh, in the newest. Uh, update i wonder okay here here's another question before we move off of this topic is do you think that there is a world where sage continues to get nerfed like yeah. do you think this will be the last nerf no uh, for a while or do I you mean, think the next time is it going to be another they're gonna, they're gonna continue taking think... her until they find a, a, a okay place with her if they don't if i don't if i think if this doesn't work out they might start touching her res and her healing and if that happens i think they'll buff the slow orbs in the wall i think they have to find a, a correct balance between the the res and healing and her slow orb in a wall so i think if they 
finally do nerf her healing ability, I do think they'll bump up her other abilities to make her feel more balanced and all around. Yeah, I don't think, because it really does seem like Riot does not like, and this is something we've seen in League of Legends, it's not even necessarily something I agree with from a balance standpoint, but if there's a champion, or in this case agent, that's being picked almost 100%, they will look at it. And in Sage's case, like I said, in my opinion, it's not, I don't think she's necessarily overpowered, but I do think that Riot does not like the fact that until now, she's been, you know, pretty much 100% pick in almost every single major competition. So they're going to keep tweaking her and nerfing her, like Tyler said, until that is not the case, or until they release another healer and Sage is so far below that other one that she's never going to get picked, and then they're going to have to buff her and balance her against the, the second healer. Yeah, if Sage has the ice going for her with the barrier and also the slow, I wonder what mechanic the next healer will have you know other than i yeah obviously we don't know i don't have that inside information on what they're like a terracle where they like you're like they can make someone immune to damage for that would be so Uh, overpowered though holy um, crap well it depends on how it works right like it depends and i I, I'm, i'm of the point where i feel like every character should feel overpowered in some way i want every character to feel i want you don't want to get to a point where Sage people, like people who go on Sage, don't like playing Sage, but have to do it because of her res and her her ult, right? Where I want people to pick characters they feel like they can do something in the game that feels powerful or helps the team. I will always take overpowered characters versus overpowered characters than underleveled characters versus underleveled characters. Give me as much overpowered stuff as you want, as long as everything else is overpowered. The same Dota strategy that's been going on forever. If everything's overpowered, nothing's overpowered. Right. Fair enough. Let's talk about the first major tournament that occurred since the Valorant launch. That is the Twitch Rivals Valorant launch showdown. There were multiple regions across the world competing multiple teams in tournaments. Let's start with North America. Team Brax, a.k.a. T1. It was the first time we saw all of T1 competing since the signing of Skadoodle, uh, and they performed very, very well. They were really one of the only full teams intact team of five because of the because of the format itself it was because there was a team captain format so we saw a lot of mixing and matching but we did see a healthy amount of pros competing across regions but t1 really took this one gotta give it to tsm though and team myth i mean myth definitely held his own in many parts of this tournament tyler he looked like you have to give him credit he did look good for a lot of what we saw yeah, Myth was actually really good, but I think people came into this tournament, especially me, I ranked TSM, I believe, 6th or 5th, basically saying in the point that if Myth plays well, this team can make finals go far because the rest of the teammates, you know, the TSM Valor teammates are amazing. They're, they're some of the best in North America, some of the best in the world yeah. currently. And But Myth really showed up. I mean, it was kind of a meme a bit, like where it's like, oh, he just picks Omen, he plays with a lot of pros, so that's why he's high elo. You know, he's a Fortnite player, LOL, like, Fortnite players can't aim. But he showed up, like, some of his games, you know, his stats weren't the best, but he was still contributing, like his smokes, his calls. He really worked well for the team, and he didn't feel out of place a bunch. Like, he did kind of fall apart a bit in the final, but you're playing against a full T1 roster with five really, really good players, possibly the best team in the world currently. So I don't blame it at all for kind of tripping up in the finals. I mean, some of his teammates did as well, who are pro-Valent players. So yeah, 
Smith, great showing. I, I really do like he's grinding the game. He's taking this very seriously. I don't think he's going to go pro at the game, but I do think if he continues playing and grinding, he could be, you know, he probably, he would definitely be the best streamer of Valorant who's not a pro. He's, he has a yeah. lot of potential. He, uh, I mean, T1 right now with this victory, uh, they looked very strong the entire tournament. And you got to think that they are in the top position, right? At least for now. Right? Like, yeah, they, they have to be the team it, to beat. I mean, it feels like they are, and I wrote this last, this past week on my CSGO Weekly, or I guess this week, technically. I'm losing track of my days here as we near the end of the week. But nonetheless, um, you know, I wrote about Brax and, and AZK sort of getting their second chance together um, and reuniting with Skadoodle. T1 is the one team where every single player on there is not, a, is not mince my words here. The, the right word is has been from Counter-Strike. However, that's a little too strong for some of them. Um, but a lot of the players that are transitioning, as I mentioned before, from Counter-Strike to Valorant are people who are at the tail end of their Counter-Strike careers. They've reached the pinnacle of the mountain, and there's not really many places for them to go. That is not the case with T1. AZK and Brax never got there. AZK was on really good teams, especially at the end of Source, before Counter-Strike Global Offensive and, and towards the beginning of Counter-Strike Global Offensive. But he, you could argue, I by Power hadn't gotten there together yet. Um, and Brax was nowhere, was not close yet. Like, he was ascending really rapidly, and then he got banned, and then that was it, right? Skadoodle eventually reached that pinnacle himself with uh, winning the major at Cl- with Cloud9. Uh, but... Every single, and then food and crashies are up and coming pros that we have like have heard a lot about in Counter Strike, sort of being like just another you know another generation of pros in, in Counter Strike before they moved over. So every single player on the T1 team is a high level Counter Strike player who is well, the reason they weren't playing Counter Strike professionally in in the case of AZK and Brax because they couldn't, right? Like it, it's because of the bans, not because they were bad at the game. So that that's my thing, right? Like they are the most talented team in Valorant right now. Um, and I, I think that, like, that showed here, and I think that will continue to show through the early parts of the game. I'd rank T1 number one right now in North America. I do think, and I know, Jacob, you would want to comment on this, I do think T1's biggest problem, and I think Kiko brought it up with me yesterday, is they have no in-game leader. And I listened to all the comms, yeah. I watched all the games of NA Twitch Rivals, and it was essentially, it was a lot of Brax and AZK kind of going back and forth as the leadership role, making calls. And at times it... Didn't go so well. Sometimes they got a bit frustrated, like, because none of them are true, you know, extroverts. None of them are true, like, I'm going to lead the team, I'm going to be the big voice, where it was a lot of sometimes second-guessing. And the mechanical skills there, we can all concur- confirm these five players have an amazing mechanical skill as a pound-for-pound skill unit. T1 outranks everyone in the world right now. But I do wonder if they, because I do know they wanted to find that, you know, elusive shot caller, big voice in the team, but they decided to go with Skadoodle, who had the chemistry of Braxton AZK, mechanically gifted player, world champion Counter-Strike. No one's going to, you know, say that was a bad move. But I do wonder how are they going to go along going into more of these more serious tournaments without, you know, a big voice on the team. Because if there's any weakness on T1, it is that they don't have that, you know, like, certified shot caller, and they don't have that, you know, voice or chemistry yet when it comes to shot calls. I mean, I interviewed Brax, AZK. I was just going to say, I interviewed Brax, AZK, and Skadoodle this week, and Skadoodle was the most talkative person in the entire, like, in the entire channel, which is stunning. If you've heard me ever say anything about him, is covering him in Counter-Strike for so many years. Every time I've been around Tyler Skadoodle, he is incredibly quiet. He's not a bad, like, he's a really nice dude. He's a genuine dude, but, like, he's not 
talkative. He's, he is very introverted generally, and that's not a knock. It's just a fact. And with that said, like, and and AZK and Brax were relatively quiet. AZK a little bit more talkative to Brax and talking to me, but that's just how they are. And I think it is going to like if, if they're going to stick with this core of five. Like, I think it does fall on on uh, Crashies or Food to figure that out, right? Like, which is kind of hard when you're the young guy in in the squad of veterans. So I, but. Yeah, like, given the role that Skadoodle plays, even in Valorant, definitely in Counter-Strike and even in Valorant, like, he can't be the one that's talking the most, right? Like, he has to have a level of focus if, if he's playing op or, or playing back, right, and sort of holding. So he can't be the one that's super loud. That's not the role he plays anyway, but he is probably the most talkative person out of all five of these players. So somebody else has got to figure that out. And you have to be willing, just as someone who's covered Counter-Strike for a long time and, and looked at really good uh, in-game leaders, you have to be willing to sacrifice your performance for that, by the way. Like, there, there is an ego thing okay. to it, right? Like, if you're a good in-game leader, you're probably not a top fragger because your role is to manage everybody across the map, and you should be making calls and understanding things, and usually that comes at the cost of you being the highlight player. So you have to have, you know, be able to sort of pocket your ego enough to go, I'm not going to be the, the top fragger on this team, but I am going to do it for the be- do my role for the best of the team. Like that, that is about, we've seen a lot of in-game leaders have extended careers in Counter-Strike who were bad at aiming, but very good at strategy, right? Like, and and that's important. I mean, that group was stacked. I mean, you had team, you had TSM, Dizzy, with, you know, Sinatra and Corey, you had Tens, the C9 team, and you had Hiko, which was Hiko and the Gen G core who went 0-3. I don't want to take too much assumptions from it. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, Hiko and Gen G are terrible because they went 0-3. But I, I do think that, the T1 issues of not having a shot caller and their their shot calling woes or lack thereof, I do want to see that, you know, continue. Because we're not going to be able to see this, right? Like, we're not going to have POVs for every tournament. As we go along into the thing, we're not going to have POVs. We're not going to be able to hear Skadoodle and EZK and all that talk. And I do think we, I mean, we can all agree that these guys, if T1 could stand for Team Introverted for an extent, because a lot of these guys are pretty shy and quiet guys, and that's nothing wrong with them. They're good guys, but you do need some sort of cohesion shot calling. Like, when you, there was parts in the series where Crash is like, I'm going to go Lurk B, uh, chill out guys, I'm Cypher, I got this, I'm going to go, I'll take down anyone who I see. And he did that, but it was very disjointed at time. So for T1, very mechanically gifted. I do think they're they're going to be one of the best in the world for the next year or so as the game develops. But I do want to see how they can grow from this tournament because even they them themselves said they didn't play that well during the tournament themselves. They didn't feel like they were playing their best. Emily, I'm going to ask you a I question mean, about Europe. I just oh sorry, you have something to add there. I know. I was going to say I don't disagree. I just think that we shouldn't be taking like too much from a tournament where only one team could make it out of each group and the brackets were like admittedly lopsided. Anyway, continue. Sorry, Arda. Well, with that said, no, no, no. With that said, I, I want to ask you about Europe in a second, but I do want to give credit because we talked a lot about uh, Team uh, Sentinels and Sinatra and where they're at, and I know that this was not a full team like you said, uh, but Team Dizzy, like you said, Emily, they would have made it out of a group. Like, they were 2-1, and one, they were minus 3 on map differential, but they did have victories over Tens and Friends and Team Hiko, so that's still impressive in some way, shape, or form. It's just, unfortunately, Team Myth was the only team that was able to get out of the group, and they absolutely dominated Group A. Uh, but like we said last week, a lot of these groups were groups of death. Now, with the mix and match, Emily, uh, you are our uh, resident Fish123 expert. And... I am. They were not together uh, because no. Artist played on Mixwell, Team, team Mixwell, which is... 
with that said, and it was basically minus different. It was basically the team we've seen minus Japan, right? So, with that said, both of those teams ended up making the final. Uh, team Mixwell and Team On Screen. So all of Fish One, Two, Three were represented <laughs> in the final there. So, what were your takeaways from the uh, Europe One, uh, or even just Europe in general, from Twitch Rivals this past weekend? Uh, so there are a lot of hiccups in the setup for Europe that I think were pretty publicized on Twitter. Uh, I won't get into them, but I do, again, want to throw that out when we're like looking at these tournaments. The primary job is to get these players in front of cameras, showing off Valorant the game, showing off what you can do. Um, I think seeing some of this talent just pop off is a really good advertisement for Valorant. Um, but yeah, we basically saw Team On Screen, which is one... Fish 1, 2, 3, plus on-screen, minus artists, and then Team Mixwell, which was the same kind of Mixwell group that we've been seeing, plus artists, uh, make it to the final. Um, the other, like, kind of remarkable team I think that people maybe should have been paying attention to was the was Team Ludi, which is basically the hip stack, minus hip, who played on uh, Team Zeriter. So um, I think... We, we still see that the players and, and teams, despite the fact that they were each minus, uh, one of their players that we've kind of seen them play with normally, um, that we have a definitive, you know, top two stacks in, in Europe right now. Um, and I think that was also reflected in this Twitch Rivals EU tournament. I mean, yeah, I, smart, smart of Mixwell and Scream to uh, to take to take one. Yeah, yeah to, to, to take one from uh, to take take <laughs> one not, from. Right? Uh, yeah. This is how we you fish one, two, three. We, we break you up. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the only way. That's the only way. I like uh, it. So, what about some other European takeaways? I mean, I think uh, we were talking about how Scream really is one of the, if not the best player in Europe. He kind of asserted himself. Uh, in, in this tournament as well, uh, he just seems to be really good. Tyler, he just seems to be really good yeah, in really any weird. situation you put him in. But I'm kind—I of, don't want to say I'm over European tournaments. I'm not. I, I literally last week I literally said that I'm not looking too much into Europe because I know who the top two teams are going to be, and it's probably going to be Team Mixwell Scream winning. And it literally went as exactly as I thought it would go. EU needs some infrastructure. It needs a team or two to kind of come in and start you know, building things, because, I mean, I had a conversation with Mixwell over Twitter, where we were talking about game mechanics and game skill, and he basically just said, yeah, oh yeah, Team Prodigy, we're just friends, we don't practice together, we just kind of get on together, you know, and just frag out, and that's the team that's winning everything in Europe, and I'm not saying that NA is way ahead of Europe at all, because, I mean, you look at my conversation yesterday with Hiko, and he, Hiko believes that, you know, the, the strategic minds of NA really haven't been thinking too much, even though we've been practicing a lot. But I do think that if Europe continues with this, you know, you know, Fish 1, 2, 3 is going to, you know, they're the only team that's really together and playing well, and then you have Scream and Mixwell, you know, coming together every few days to just win tournaments because of their aim and their, you know, just pure mechanical skill, Europe is going to get, you know, left behind where you have, you know, C9, Sentinels, T1, all practicing every single day, doing scrims against each other, learning the game. I re you really need a Fnatic, a G2, a Astralis, something, one or two teams to come up, pick Scream and Mixwell up, and really build out these teams and put them in a regiment where they're training, they're practicing, they're getting the necessary reps in these tournaments. And then when that happens, I think EU will become a lot more entertaining to watch because right now it does feel like there's 
three or four teams who just are way above everyone else. It's Team Mixwell or Team Prodigy, which are just friends who frag out and who are just mechanically better than everyone else. Fish123, who've won pretty much everything in Europe. The uh, the UK uh, artists, uh, Five Stack. There's worse players, who are the CIS team, who won the other European Twitch rivals in dominating fashion, who are about the third or fourth best team. And then you have Hip's team, the the French lineup, who are also in that top four. And then I think you also have the Ninjas Pajamas team, who are from Paladin. So those five teams, but we we need a G2 or FNAC to really... Uh, to build these, like, Mixwell, Scream, Drake, and Dream teams and put them to practice and kind of get the European ball rolling. I think it's going to take, like, one, right? Like, I think all it takes is, like, one big org getting involved, and then the rest will, like, probably follow suit, depending on how they feel about it. But, I mean, I think that's what it's going to take. I think once a, a, a larger name org makes their first move, that's when I think we'll see more... European orgs that we know of getting involved. It just we, feels like it, it is a matter of time. Like uh, something Waylon Roselle said to me a couple weeks ago, right before launch, was that when they first started sort of uh, assigning the esports team at Riot Games to work on Valorant, he, him, and his team went out and met with more than two hundred esports organizations or organizers and teams, essentially saying like, "Hey, this is what we're up to. We can't tell you a ton of details, but like we want to be more open this time with you than we were with League originally." Um, and so I think that, yeah, like it's, and I'm sure there were a ton of Counter-Strike teams not involved in League of Legends as a part of that equation. So I, I think it's only just a matter of time before we see what you're talking about, Emily. Waylon also said that, uh, he found it very interesting that T1 is going to be one of the few teams that have multiple pro teams going on at the same time. T1 has an established North American team and an amateur team in North America. Yeah, they announced they the academy team have- today. Yeah, the academy team today, and they will also have a professional South Korean team going on concurrently. Now, whether that will be able to remain the case in the future when a more uh, official Riot eSport is announced, that remains to be seen. But one thing I will say about all of this is that remember that T1 signed a player well before Valorant was even a thing, right? Like like in the sense that... Brax didn't have a second of gameplay on the game. I know I've said that many times before on this program, but to get the ball rolling, that really got the ball rolling, at least in North America. So maybe it, it will take something like that to get the ball rolling uh, in Europe, whether it's a G2 or a Fnatic or whoever. Carlos of G2 did tweet today that G2 Esports will win a Valorant World Championship. So I think that's like confirmation of a confirmation that G2 is going to get into Valorant. Uh, they've already done tournaments of their own. They've been very active. Yeah. Carlos loves the game. They He just tweeted that they're going to win a world championship of Valorant. So if you're G2 and you're looking at the EU scene, you look at, you know, you're looking at Scream, you're looking at Mixwell, you're, lo- you're saying, okay, if we want to win a world championship, those are the two players right now that you look at and say, those are the two building blocks of any great European team. So if you're Carlos, I would not be surprised if Carlos is in, you know, Scream's DMs right now. Already have a relationship with them from Counter-Strike. Yeah. So... It do, it's not a, a crazy world to think of G2 Mixwell and G2 Scream in the near future, if it could happen. The joke to make here, folks, is perhaps Carlos should focus on winning a League of Legends World Championship. I was about first. to say, which one, which one, did, which one wow. did they win first? A, a League World wow. Championship or a Valorant one? Probably Valorant. If I had a drum set right here, it would be... What is it, the monkey uh, gif with the just like the deflated... 
Anyway. Let's focus our attention to Brazil, Emily. Uh, what did you notice from the Brazil? I didn't watch much of the Brazilian tournament, I will fully admit. What did you notice from the Brazilian tournament? So I'll say I didn't watch much of it either. I just saw like some of the footage from the final part. But um, I just wanted to bring attention to the fact that the winning team, so it was Panshi, uh, or I don't know, like I'm pronouncing that right, but they have three players from INTZ who have played Crossfire and uh, and CS for the team before. Um, And I think if we're going to see, I know, I think Payne just signed some um, former, two of the former like Team Brazil, like really well-known Brazil gaming house Overwatch players to their Valorant squad. Um, And then this winning team had three players who have notably been with INTZ for Crossfire, CSGO, and then also Crossfire in uh, Vinny, Sand, and uh, Pensada, or Pancada. So I think uh, that is just a few players to watch in the Brazilian scene that aren't um, those former Brazil Gaming House Overwatch pros that people yep. might already know of. Uh, I think that you might start looking at uh, Panshi just because, A, they did win, and B, you have a lot of notable, or not a lot, but like three, three of the five uh, are 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 fairly well known Crossfire and CS:GO pros. So um, I, I like I'm looking to Brazil as kind of the the next uh, like big growth for Valorant since this game has not taken off in Korea uh, thus far, and mm-hmm. since the China opening is still like. A while away, not China because has of going on, so. yeah. I mean, China yeah. has uh, China. Has I think it's still going right to be now. yeah. It's going to be pretty big, but the the thing about China is that it hasn't even officially released there. Um, and I do think Brazil is in you know like more of an FPS culture. Um, and if one of these teams is able to make it out of Brazil, I actually think that if they are able to come to NA, if they're able to go to Europe, if they're able to face like stronger teams. I think people should be looking at Brazil. So I just want a quick call out. There's not any sort of like analysis because I didn't get to watch enough of it. Um, I just wanted to mention a few names to look out for. Right. Uh, so I also I also want to mention that uh, most PC bongs in Korea can't even play Valorant because of the mm-hmm. Vanguard installation. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like it's like I, I, I I'm not saying that you know Valorant's taking over South Korea and it's going to be the biggest game of all time, but I do think that when the game can't even be downloaded on computers in PC bongs and it's a global pandemic. I don't want to take, it's just like, it's like what you said about the Twitch rivals thing, right? Emily, we can't take too much assumptions off of things with, you know, without talking about the context. And I do think once, you know, Riot starts bumping it up, you know, you have T1 and Gen G both in South Korea, South Korean oriented teams. You have Faker doing Valorant stuff with the Valorant Korean team. I do think like when OGN starts doing things, Korea, Will be a market in Valorant. I have no worries about that. I don't think it's going to take over the world or be League of Legends stature. There's no way any game could ever do that when half of the country plays the freaking game. But I do think Valorant in South Korea will be pretty popular if they can fix the Vanguard issues. Because when you can't, you know, install Vanguard on 95% of the computers in the PC bong because it'll ruin the other games, it's not going to work in a PC bong culture. Let's yeah, I mean, I think the the solution thus far has been they've been isolating, like, a few PCs for it. Um, but I think uh, if anyone wants to know more about the context, uh, Arnold Hurd, uh, one of the 
head honchos of Gen G. He always has really insightful things to say. Um, he did a thread on it that was piggybacking on some cultural things that Chobra brought up um, that I think are really good reads in terms of uh, maybe people who were expecting it to be like the Overwatch launch in Korea, which was like nutty. And I think those those expectations, in my opinion, were a bit unfair um, for a lot of reasons. But if you want to see like some of the cultural context, I definitely recommend looking at uh, Chobra's thread on Twitter. And then you can also see Arnold's responses regarding the uh, Vanguard issues as well. We're going to get to uh, the comments from Shroud talking about Valorant having a lower skill ceiling than CSGO in just a second. Let's get quick comments from everyone across around the horn here about the developing meta, however. It seems as though we're getting a healthy dose of picks in terms of agents across the board. Except for one, Tyler. Except yeah, for I, one lonely I, agent. <laughs> Depends on the region, right? It depends on the region. But still, even in Europe, it wasn't used that much. I mean, Mixwell did play it to good success. But yeah, in the in North American Twitch Rivals event, we saw a vast variety of uh, pros getting played, or agents being played. I want to bring up the stats right here. Uh, I think number one, by far, was Sage. Sage was played in every single game, except a few uh, played by your buddy, uh, Arda, uh, Austin Creed, Xavier Woods of the WWE fame. They were the only team in the entire event not to pick up Sage once in any of their games. Can I, can I interject like for one second here? It's like Team all over again. Yeah, so Emily, to that point, and not to <laughs> flame my dear WWE friends, uh, all of them had five of the lowest average combat scores <laughs> no. in the entire Twitch Rivals tournament. <laughs> Uh, With my dear good buddy Austin Creed Austin. being the absolute lowest. <laughs> Austin, 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 if you're watching this, please please stick to Street Fighter. I played you in Street Fighter. We love you, buddy. Austin, you get a kill on Stewie 2K though, and then none of us in this panel have ever you know gotten the kill on Stewie 2K in any game. So correct. So correct. So even with the lowest average, he did get a kill off Stewie 2K. So that's something you can hang his hat on. But looking at the stats of what agents were played, uh, by far the most played was Sage at 54 games, Brimstone in number two with 43, Reyna at the third bronze position with 35, and then you had a really good mix of agents in the 30 to 20 range. You had Rays, Breach, Cypher, Phoenix with 22 games, uh, Omen, Sova. Almost every single care Jet was the second, uh, aside Cypher, uh, besides, uh, Ugh. Besides Viper, the only character not used in over 20 games, and she was played 13 times. Wardell playing her beautifully, uh, tens as well. Those two really like the jet play. So every character feels like it has its niche, right? Where Drone on TSM loves playing Phoenix, tens and Wardell love playing uh, the jet. You know, Brax on the on the Rays and the Omen. I think we're seeing players find their personalities through these agents. And then there's Viper, who uh, not played at all in the entire tournament. Even Austin Creed and his uh, meme team did not pick up Viper in the entire tournament. Uh, Mitchell did pick him up, and he did do well, as forementioned. But I think Viper is in a place where we have to discuss, is she underutilized? Does she need buffs? I do think that she needs tinkering when it comes to her decay. I think her decay needs to be better. Sometimes it feels like you're doing you, it's nothing to walk through any of her smokes or wall. It's just mm-hmm. okay. I'm decayed for a few seconds. Uh, I think her. I think one thing I really I saw that I really did like is I think her old time 
Uh, the time it takes her ult to pop needs to be a bit faster. It does take a little bit of time for her to, you know, wind up and for the jello to, you know, uh, emerge from her, from her side. So I, I'm curious because Hiko did say that he does feel Viper is in an okay place, but people just don't know how to utilize her correctly and teams aren't using her properly. Yeah, I mean, over in Europe, I'll just bring up to piggyback on Tyler's point. Uh, I think things were a little bit more stratified. We still saw Sage and Cypher were the two top played agents of 42 games of, or of 42 total chances. Uh, Sage was played 40 times. Cypher was played 37. Then you have a slight drop off with Sova and Brimstone, each at 29. Uh, Raze at 21, Breach at 14, Reyna at 13, Jet at 10. Omen at six, and then Viper and Phoenix tied at five at the very oof, bottom. Oof, um, oof. So, I mean, pre, I think... Was this pre-Omen so like, nerf? Or I'll, no. say, I'll say Europe, okay. Europe generally, from what I've seen, um, does prefer Raze as the entry fragger, which I brought up last week, uh, I believe, in our last show. Um, but again, like, I think... Uh, so that's why Phoenix is, is so low, like... Uh, and not as, like, there's not as much of a um, parody as Tyler pointed out for NA. But, uh, yeah, Viper is also, and, like, I feel like when we talk about Europe, that's where we do talk about some of these more mechanically gifted players playing the Viper, again, to Tyler's point. Um, But she's still very much not a top pick uh, and actually tied for last. Well, speaking of ceilings, uh, Shroud had some comments recently about Valorant having a lower skill ceiling than CSGO. We're going to talk about this topic at length to close the show, but to catch everybody up, here are Shroud's comments about the subject. The thing is, this game is the, the skill, the skill ceiling and the potential is a lot lower than a game like Counter-Strike, right? So, AZK, Brax, Skadoodle, right? Legend. In using to figure out how to beat them. Because there's a cap, right? In Counter-Strike, it's not so much like that. The cap, there's a cap, of course, but the cap is so high up there that sometimes you don't even need a brain. You can just be fucking insane. doesn't work like that in this game. Why do you think the cap's lower on this game? Just to make it easier for people to play. This game is trying to reach people that don't play FPS. A lot of people that have been playing Valorant never touched a first-person shooter in their lives, but Valorant allows them to. So, it's not as punishing, right? Counter-Strike is more about everybody having the same utility at their disposal. You have to decide what utility you want to buy, but for the most part you have, it's pretty much, you know, two flashes of smoke and a Molotov. Um, strategy, I mean, maps and Counter Strike have been out forever. People have been playing, I've been playing Dust 2 since before probably people have been even been born watching this video, this interview. You know, Dust yeah. 1 has been around since the early 2000s. So, you know, as far as mechanical skills go, I think that Counter Strike does have a higher ceiling as far as mm-hmm. being like your individual clicking mouse, mm-hmm. getting headshots, having good peaks, having good movement. Like I think Counter Strike does have a higher skill ceiling with that regard. But mm-hmm. I think Valorant is different in the sense that there's so much more thinking you have to do. There's so much more strategy you have to to, to actually think about. Think about like a team running a brimstone compared to a team running a viper or a team, mm-hmm. you know, 
choosing to not run a cipher, but instead run, you know, Reina or, or, or Rays, you know, whoever it might be. Um, I, I actually think that in the long term, we will see some really insane tactical strategy from Valorant. I think it'll be even more creative than Counter-Strike is just because it's a new game and just because there's so many abilities and there's so many weird synergies that people don't even realize. And even the pros don't even realize yet. In this game, you know, when you're playing a certain agent, you're separated uh, entirely by, you know, whoever you're playing. Like if you're playing a Sova, you know, that's this, he's capable of giving, getting free info. His ultimate, you know, is, goes through the entire map. Like I just feel like, you know, Counter-Strike definitely is tougher to play for sure. and. Uh, it's just a little, it's, it's kind of, like Valorant, there's just a lot to it, honestly. And it, it's just a little, uh, it's not as simple. All right, so those are comments from some pros as well, responding to Shroud's comments. Jacob, agree or disagree? I disagree with Shroud, right? Like, I think, first of all, like, of all the counter ex-Counter-Strike players playing, like, I think he's not one of the best, uh, who's, who's, played some Valorant over time, like, I've not been impressed by his performances more generally, so, like, how are you talking like that when we don't even know the ceiling of Valorant? I think he's making premature assumptions, uh, would be my general take, is that, like, we haven't seen enough high-level Valorant play to understand the ceiling. We've seen a lot of high-level Counter-Strike play over the past 20 years, and in the for the past eight in Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Um, to Skadoodle's point, what he just said, like, was that there are different types of ceiling than in Valorant than Counter-Strike, the abilities, everything else, how you use them. So it's very different. I think a lot of people make comparisons, which they're apt, but in some ways they are not. Yeah, I'm going off to Jacob. I do agree to accept. First of all, I want to say that Trout does like Valorant. Like, this isn't a doctor disrespect situation where the doc literally just went off about how much he hates Valorant because he can't aim and he likes the running gun shooters and it was a game that was not for him. Like, Shroud, this is probably the number one game Shroud plays on stream most days. Like, most of his YouTube videos are about Valorant. He enjoys the game. But I do think his thing is that he plays Valorant in the eyes of a Counter-Strike player, right? And he's thinking about it only as a Counter-Strike to a one-to-one to Counter-Strike. And if you look at just the game, uh, the gunplay, yes, I think it's dumbed down. I do think that it's easier to, you know, aim and to get kills in Valorant compared to CSGO when you look at just the gunplay itself. But when you look at the entire world, the gunplay is just the foundation of Valorant. The Valorant core is all these abilities and these setups and having to deal with 20,000 different things going on at once. And I think the difference in the, in, in the skill ceiling is in in uh, in Counter Strike, and, and I believe Hiko said this yesterday in our interview, is that for you can just you can a lot of players can just rely on pure raw talent, right? You can just listen to your IGL and you can just mow people down. No, you don't have to think about anything. All you think about is aiming, clicking heads. That's all. In Valorant, you can't do that because you have your own specific abilities that you have to do on your own, and there's twenty thousand things going on at once. So an IGL, one voice. Can't pick up everything. You have to have your own sense of split decision making. So I do think there's a difference when it comes to ceiling. I do think the ceiling in terms of split second decision making is higher in Valorant compared to CSGO. And I do think when it comes to just pure mechanics, pure gunplay, it's higher in CS. So both games have really high ceilings just in different, you know, categories. Emily, if I can just interject for one second here. I, there's one comment in chat that I want to comment on. Uh, the Juke Sidewalker says the skill floor is lower. 
I can definitely <laughs> attest to that. I am not good at FPS games, but I have a great time playing Valorant. Yeah. And I feel at times no, like I, I'm actually contributing to my team. Completely agree, actually. Um, I think the, uh, so I think the abilities do two things. I actually really agree with what Tyler just said. So, uh, like that, that's pretty much in line with what my opinion is. I think you're talking about different things, uh, when you talk about what, like the mechanical skill of Counter-Strike and also what abilities do to Valorant as a game, uh, in making it different than Counter-Strike. Um, in regards to the, the floor, the skill floor though, I think that is what abilities also do, right? Because I think to tie both of Jacob and Tyler's points, we haven't seen what, I don't think we've seen what good Valorant is, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'll see what good Valorant is until maybe something approaching the end of our first competitive season. But even then, we've all watched the Season 1 League of Legends World Championship, and that was <laughs> not a good representation of what League of Legends could be whatsoever. So um, I think that we're still not going to see what, quote-unquote, good Valorant is for a while, although it'll be fun to watch the people like learn what the game is. Abilities give it a really accessible skill floor because you can still kill someone with abilities. You can still contribute to your team with abilities and not feel terrible regardless of what your KDA is. Whereas I don't think you have that same entry level feel to CS. Um, and I'm not saying that's a, that's like a, a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying it is like it, it exists. It's a thing that exists. And I think that could also contribute to people's perception of Valorant being an easier game. Um, but to tie everything together, to Jacob's point, we've seen so many years of CS. CS is a historic, iconic game that is honestly, like, I don't think going to be surpassed by anything. So it's it's always going to be its own thing. And it's and the majors are always going to be massively well, well attended and well watched. Um, so I think, like, comparing Valorant in, in that regard is very difficult and a specious comparison due to the history. But that skill uh, floor point is actually really, really prescient to how people talk about Valorant specifically. That's intentional, right? Like, I find... Yeah. Oh, I think, for sure it's intentional. We're going to League. It's the same thing. I, and, and League and Heroes of the Storm. Heroes of the Storm is super accessible and, and like, but at its highest level is really difficult. But like, yeah, League is more accessible than, than Dota was, right? Like, I think, I think most people, if you were, if you threw somebody in front of a computer with no MOBA experience and go figure this out, like, League is easier to get into, but like, both are incredibly mechanically difficult at the highest level, right? So like, but, so I agree, like, I think it is easier to get into Valorant, and I think that's intentional, because Riot doesn't want to make it feel like they're boxing people out. They want, one of the things they've done well, and I, look, I'm not like a homer here, I host a Counter-Strike show, I am as high on Counter-Strike as anybody else. But, one thing that they've done well that Valve hasn't, is, is they've made it easier for people who have never played a tactical FPS in their entire life to play this game and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's something they've done well. Mm-hmm. CS is very difficult. I mean, I can speak to um, to you know that point because before Valorant came out, I wanted to prep, play some FPS games. I was like, I'm gonna play Counter-Strike because the gunplay is, you know, supposedly very similar to Valorant. So I think I played every night for about a month going into Valorant. I played for you know a few hours every night, and I and I got better. But the thing was, it was terrible. I mean, I mean, Valorant's toxic. But CSGO at the very floor level when you're playing and the mics are on and you're not doing very well, it is 
god-awful. It is not fun. The barrier of entry in CSGO is incredibly low. Like, that's the reason why you don't see many, you know, rising stars make it into the Tier 1 scene, unless you're, a, you know, a Zaiwu who can just break all barriers because you're that dang good. It's because these people have been playing 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, 30,000 hours of this game, and they know every single point on every single map and know every single hold, and if you don't know any of that going into it, you're screwed. So I do think the barrier of entry was a big thing Riot wanted to take care of, where it didn't feel that steep, and we'll see as it goes along, right? Now, five years from now, when Valorant players have been playing for 10, 20, 30 hours like CSGO, the barrier of entry might not be as fun comparatively, but I think right now, like, to, to Artist's point, like, last night, he, he had a, he popped off in the game, and he felt like a god. He got, you're like 22 and, and 15 on Brimstone, yeah. you're caring, getting multi-kill after multi-kill, and, and you felt good, like, it was like, that was like your pop-off moment. You felt like simple. You felt like, you know, a, a Zywoo in that moment. And I don't feel like you no, can no, not, get that. Not, not felt like Tyler was. You were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did win that game. We did win that game. Actually, the, the best part of that was when Arda actually disconnected during the game for two rounds. And they did. They couldn't find him during his disconnect, and he clutched by himself. AFK. So that was a true you golden were so god nervous moment. Nervous to plant, yeah. That, yeah. That, that I won the round, even AFK. That's just yeah. god tier stuff. God tier okay, stuff. Let's, let's end on this then. And, and and when I ask this question, I'm not talking about observer mode. Mm. I'm not talking about the pros that are going to come to the game or are in the game or any of that speculation. I am purely talking about the gameplay. I'm talking about the skill ceiling. I'm talking about the game as it is constructed. Purely from that angle, can this remain and be a Tier 1 eSport? I'll start. Uh, yes, of course I can. Uh, I don't... I mean, if you look at... The, Hiko literally had 35,000 people watching his stream. Hiko has grown so much in the last week or two. He continues to grow. And there's no drops. There's no reason people should be watching him unless they like Valorant. And Valorant... The Twitch Rivals event did get viewers. It's not, you know, a million viewers. It's not the 1.7 million viewers they got for their closed beta drop. But there is a definite fan base there where Valorant has been in the top five Twitch games since its launch. Like, people do like to watch it. But, I mean, I know you don't say don't bring up the spectator mode, but... Right now, I can't even say, I can't even compare it to any other eSport because the Spectator mode is so trash that it would just not even be worth comparing it to a CSGO or Dota or even like a Rocket League. It's embarrassing comparing the two because the Spectator mode is really bad. I've said this many times. The developers know this. They tell me to tell them it's bad until they fix it. So I'm going to continue <laughs> doing that. Your Spectator mode is trash, Riot. It's very bad. No one wants to watch, you know, Valorant eSports through the spectator mode. They're going to watch through Brax. They're going to watch through Myth. They're going to watch all... They're all going to hop on Hiko stream and watch him stream because the spectator mode is really bad because even the, the small details of when a player gets eliminated, the face doesn't disappear. They put a red X on it, which is very difficult to look at when you, you know, do a slight glance. It's so terrible. The spectator mode yeah. is so, so bad. So please... It, it has the potential to be the Tier 1 eSport. I think it has the chance to be a really, really fun eSport, and we've seen this with all the clutch plays. You saw the Brax play that I posted on Twitter that got over 100,000 views. So there is a market to watch these plays. There's a market for eSports, but until that spectator mode is fixed, or even gone from trash to even mediocre, I can't even talk about them as a Tier 1 eSport. Uh, for me, I think it's going to depend on China. But, I mean, in terms of, like, Tier 1 eSport, are you talking 
like continuous investment, despite the fact that it's not putting up the same numbers as like League of Legends or CSGO majors, then yes, I think Valorant can definitely achieve that. Um, especially if it's an open circuit as opposed to like a more separate regional like league play. Um, I do also think it's really going to depend on the Chinese launch, which uh, by all accounts is looking like it's going to be good. It looks like Riot is going to be communicating with Chinese orgs as soon as they can get the game released in China. I think a lot of Chinese orgs um, are going to be super, super happy about it. They already have teams, so that's already looking really, really good over there. Um, but that's going to make a, a huge difference for me in terms of uh, discerning whether it's like a tier one, like top, Esport in terms of players and viewership. Yeah, I, I agree. Mostly, I, I agree mostly with Tyler. Like, it's it's got the potential to be there, but it's going to take like Riot can't just coast because League of Legends has been so successful. They have to put equal amounts of hard work into it, um, and they have an opportunity to sort of mold from the beginning here. Which in League of Legends they didn't really know what they were doing, so they they really need to kind of buckle down and put uh, pedal to the metal, in my opinion. But it does have the potential. I just I think it needs a lot of. Uh, I think it needs a lot of changes to be able to get there. So that does it for us here on the ESPN Esports Valorant Show. The next big tournament uh, is Immortals First Light. That happens June 14th to 15th. Uh, Simo, who commented our ESPN Esports Valorant Invitational, will be commenting uh, one of the casters for that tournament. He's in the chat. What's up, Simo? Thanks for uh, stopping by. And we have some big teams participating. Immortals, Gen G, TSM, Tens and Friends. Maybe that will be the official uh, announcement for the remainder of the Cloud9 roster. Who knows? But they're all participating uh, in the tournament that will be going two days with a $10,000 prize pool. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. All things Valorant on this weekly program every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern on the ESPN Esports Valorant Show. Check out Tyler's interview with Hiko and also check out Jacob's interview from the Eco. Not Hiko, Eco, uh, that rhymes, uh, with uh, AZK, Brax, and Skadoodle, who are part of T1. Uh, they talk a lot about the iBuy Power days and exactly what happened there, but also uh, comparing Valorant and CSGO. All of that is available on our YouTube channel slash ESPN Esports. See you next week.